0: We're continuing a series, which is called uh, Proverbs Greatest Hits, and I'm hoping that it has been a blessing to you, but I think it serves a purpose. I think that God is wanting to speak to us as a congregation and to people individually. I was thinking this week, what would happen if I had the opportunity to have um, an hour with the smartest person on earth, the wisest person in the world? Uh, and so I was able to go in, what a, what a distinct pleasure, this person probably be busy. And um, so the questions I started to ask myself, so what would I be talking? Would I ask him financial questions? Would I ask him direction questions? Would I ask him just about the meaning of life type of questions? There'd be so many things that you'd want to ask this person in an hour. Well, in the book of Proverbs, we have opportunity to listen in on a person that the Bible says was the smartest person alive. And so we have a chance to dig in on a number of things which is talking. And basically, scriptures say that God will freely pass out wisdom to those who are hungry and diligent in seeking it. It says that both in the Old Testament, it says it in the New Testament. And I believe that God is calling us to seek out what I will call anointed wisdom. Wisdom that kind of goes beyond our limits. A wisdom that God supernaturally gives us. In those moments which are for such a time as this. And the problem is with for such a time as this moment. Is that sometimes you don't realize it is a for such a time as this until it's already passed. Have you ever had that happen to you? You've gone through a a difficulty, a situation and God somehow supernaturally gave you wisdom. And it's only six months after you said, wow, that was a watershed moment in our life. And so the idea is that we need to be continually seeking out wisdom. And I want to talk to you today about the most popular passage in the scripture. I think it is anyways. It is the most unique. You don't really see a passage like this than any other um, in all of scripture. But the problem is that the only time we hear it, the only time you hear a sermon on it, is on Mother's Day. And I think we take away some of the most important things about this particular passage of Scripture when we relegate it to Mother's Day. So what I want to do is I want to take the passage out of Mother's Day and talk about um, its importance in a non-Mother's Day sort of way. And you saw the video which says, it's not enough, it's never enough, and... And part of part of the feelings that come has has to do with this passage. It's, it's in, in Proverbs chapter 31, the last 21 verses. And, and it's one of those things that is, is one of the most incredible passages in scripture, but it is it is one of the most frustrating scriptures that we have. So what I did is I showed that that video, it's it's never enough, to a number of women before the service. I said, Hey, I'm gonna be preaching on this. Tell me what you think of this, this video. And to a T, every one of the ladies that I showed this to said, that's me. And so you see this level of frustration that we have laid upon the ladies in our church, the women in our church, the mothers in our church. There was an article in February of this year in the New York Times, and basically this is what the title was. America's mothers are in crisis. Is anyone listening to them? And the whole point of the story was there is enough pressure on our mothers and there are enough pressures in our society as it is. And you throw it in a cauldron of a pandemic and you have pandemonium. And so we have a number of our ladies who are suffering. And it's a tough thing. So let's go to the passage of Scripture. I don't have enough room um, to put 21 verses in. So if you have your Bible apps or if you have your Bibles with you, I just invite you to read along. I think I'm reading from the New International Version. Or maybe you just kind of want to listen in. And and if that's the case, then then that is fine. We're we're just glad that you're here. And and I'm sure that I can kind of get through um, the gist of everything that is being said. Okay? Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. You guys heard this verse before? Anybody read Proverbs 31 verse 10? Yeah, probably all of us if you've been in the church for any length of time. It says this, a wife of noble character. Who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers the field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her husband, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed with fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate, where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants uh, with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom, and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all of her hands have done, and let her works bring praise at the city gate. Wow, it's incredible. Who is this person? Now you may not realize this, but um, this these last twenty one verses of the book of Proverbs are what is known as an acrostic poem. Um, it is poetry which is happening and and if it was in English the first verse would start with the letter A, the second verse would start with the letter B, the third verse would start with the letter C. But in the Hebrew, the last 21 verses had to do with this poem which kind of started with every letter in the alphabet. It's kind of interesting. Another thing which is interesting if you take a look at this, that is if you read the book of Proverbs, at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, it's talking about wisdom. And, and, and in the first number of verses in, 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 in Proverbs, it is the voice of a woman calling out, like a town crier, come to me for wisdom, come and seek me. And at the end of Proverbs, it's the voice of a woman calling out. I don't think that that's any coincidence whatsoever. The author, the person who writes um, Proverbs chapter 31 is the mother of King Lemuel, King Lemuel, you only hear of his name twice. Both of them are in Psalm, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 31. And it is believed by many that Lemuel is a term which means belonging to God or one who is owned by God. Basically is a term, an affectionate term that Solomon's wife calls him. Hey, you belong to God. You are called by God. And so she begins to instruct him. She begins to say a number of things to him. And it gets recorded in this last uh, chapter of, of Proverbs. And she says, you know, hey, you can't be wasting your time. You need, to, you need to manage your strength. There was strength managing and there was sobriety. If you're a leader, you can't be drinking. You're responsible for too many people. You can't be letting your life go in that direction. You need to be supporting the weak. You need to be um, seeking help for for those and seeking justice for those who are in, in needing it and and the last thing she goes, her crescendo is this: you need to see a woman in a way that God sees them and so it 's not Solomon talking about a woman, it is solomon 's mother talking about a woman it 's not a man talking about a woman it 's a woman talking about a woman as a matter of fact it 's the Holy Spirit using this woman um, to give this message to us today. And so when she gave this message to us today, the Holy Spirit was saying, well, you know, what? we're going to have to have a verse where we can allow the pastors to talk about Mother's Day. And so this is why we put this passage in Scripture. No, that's not why it is put there. As a matter of fact, Mother's Day was only kind of like 100 years old. You know? So you need to take a look ...at the context of what is going on. Context is everything. It says a wife of noble character. But the Hebrew word for wife and woman are inter-kind of used. Depending on the context of which it is talking about. And in this time they kind of chose it that way. But it could be used as a woman just as much. As, and if you think about it. It is a mother saying a woman of noble character who can find... So basically there is a search on. And so you're not going to be looking for a married woman for this this guy. You're going to be looking for a single woman for this guy. So the argument could be made that this woman is basically single. It's talking about a woman. Don't you find it funny? I find it funny. That when my daughters see a guy, date a guy, come knocking on my door... Hey, Dad, I found this wonderful guy. You need to meet him. Uh Uh-huh. Right? I remember the first guy came to my door. I'm not going to tell you what happened because my daughter could be listening online. I don't want a phone call this afternoon saying, hey, Dad, why are you such an idiot? So I'll I'll let you come to me afterwards, and maybe I'll share the story then. Well, maybe I won't. I'll just, hey, dear, it's nice to see you online. Glad that you're watching from Ottawa. God bless you. But you find as well that for mothers and the boys, it's kind of, not kind of the same thing. I think, like, ladies are so different. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll look. You know, and even at a young age, they'll kind of see their boy and they figure, this boy needs help. There's no doubt about this boy needs help. (laughs) So I'm going to do the search for him. And so as they enter into youth and they enter into uh, whatever these times, as they get a teenager, you know, mom will often say, well, you know, she's a really nice girl. I think that she'd be a really nice girl for him. No, that's not, that's, you know, that's, come on, you know that that's true. This is kind of the thing um, which is taking place. And so, like I said before, context is everything. And sometimes what happens is we get disillusioned and we get misinformed when we take something out of the scripture, kind of cut, cookie cut it out and apply it to whatever we're going through today. And we need to realize sometimes who is talking, who they're talking to, what the situation is, what is the full context of what is taking place at this time. And they end the whole passage. The whole book of Proverbs ends with this. You know, among the most important things, they end with with one of the most important passages. And and it's like a a summation. It's the thing that perhaps you will remember the most. And so we need to consider the time. We need to consider the culture. And it's written a time where women are seen as secondary or strategically. Obviously, for Solomon, it was seen strategically many times. I'm going to marry this person because her dad is the king of this particular area. And in order to have peace, we have to arrange these things. And, and so in this process, I believe that Solomon's mom has something to say. And so the best way I'm hoping I can bring some light on this passage of scripture is to talk about a number of factors. Okay. Let's talk first of all about what we will call the intimidation factor that. Many times when you read this, you feel bad, or we like to feel bad. We say, you know, if this is what it is supposed to be, I'm just gonna give up right now. There's no way I can do all the things that they're telling me that I can do. It isn't possible. I get more discouraged when I read this passage of scripture, just like that that video says, it's never enough. That's why so many people are taking a look and saying, Whew, I'm never enough. Look, just take a look at the Bible. The Bible tells me that itself. But Let me tell you, as I look at that passage of scripture, I'm not too sure if any human being could be this. And yet, at the same time, if you take a look, and if you're not so hard on yourself, I believe that this individual is in every woman. I think it's true. Um... What is the intention of this passage? Ask yourself, what is it about? Lemuel's mother, or Solomon's mother, was trying to get him to honor women, to see women for how they should be, to show their distinction, to show that their place is not a secondary one, that they are gifted, and and they are God's gifts. And this is seen throughout all the scriptures. Take a look at at a time when, when in the Roman government, women were not seen as anything, but yet as the churches formed, you begin to hear of all these individuals who are women who are taking leadership roles in the church that you see Priscilla and Aquila, workmates with Paul. She was a tin maker. And you hear of of a girl named Lydia who was the first convert in in Europe and, and she was a seller of purple. One of the first people that are healed in the New Testament in the book of Acts is a girl named Tabitha. And they were grieving because of all the things that she had done. And there's a girl named Junia. And there's a girl named Andronicus. And there's a girl named Phobe. And they're all mentioned in Scripture at a time when you never were supposed to mention women in any kind of writings. And it goes on beyond that. At a time when they didn't have women who were kind of holding those leadership positions. It is shown through history that women did I don't know if you've ever heard of the term called uh, sarc- sarcophagy. Have you ever heard of the word sarcophagy? Everybody, it's a common word. If you did not heard, what's wrong with you? Sar- sarcophagy. Sarcophagy, basically, is that at that time when people died and they had their coffins, they were called sarcophaguses. Uh, it's probably not the right way to... Sarcophagi? The tombs. Okay? And what they did... For important individuals is that they inscribed on them. They had pictures, stories of their lives. And so what would happen if this person was a person of influence or honor, they would actually draw pictures, hieroglyphics, or whatever it was, detailing their lives. And so what they did as they were studying them, they found 203 uh, of these coffins in the Christian community. And of them, of the 2003 that they had, 156 that had the sarcophagi or the, the sarcophagi on it were women. Three quarters were women. One quarter were men. And what they did is they compared that to people outside of the Christian community. And it was 50-50. Isn't that interesting? A lot of the pictures were of these women that were holding... That were holding um, uh, Scrolls. Thank you. They're holding scrolls. They were teaching. Isn't it kind of interesting? It's kind of seen throughout history. And let me just say this in ministry, I don't usually get an opportunity to get too close to ladies. I'm a married man. I have, I just have these, these things that don't allow me to get close because to honor my wife. So the people that I have gotten, the girls that I have gotten closest to, have been the spouses of my closest friends. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was looking at those people who, the girls that I have gotten closest to, through, through the friendships that we've had through marriage. And one thing that I realized was that every single woman... Had these details of Proverbs 31 to one degree or another. Strength, character, resilience, compassion, care. Many times didn't see to the same degree in the spouses. And as I began to look, it wasn't the men that had made the woman. Many times it was the woman that had made the men. And all I'm basically saying is... If you look, and you're not too hard on yourself, you may realize, ladies, that all of the things that are in Proverbs chapter 31 are within you. I think it's part of the DNA of our women. That's the intimidation factor. From there, I want to talk about what's called the imitation factor. Now, the imitation factor has to be done... After the intimidation factor, because the imitation factor can only be observed and celebrated once you strip away the intimidation factor. Once you realize that this is the truth, what you can do is you can take a look at this individual and you say, Wow, isn't this person wonderful? Look at all of the things that they have. And the realization is this is that if these things are in you as women, then you should be intimidated. There's a reason why we celebrate Mother's Day and it's so special. We go out and we have dinner and we give them flowers and we give them a card. We do all these things and Father's Day comes along. Good job, Dad. And there's a reason for that. I'm not angry because of that. Because we recognize. We recognize these qualities in a woman. And usually, what you hear about in a woman are all these traditional things. Well, oh, they're loving, and they're caring, and they nurture and they take care of the kids. But if you look at Proverbs chapter thirty-one, it really doesn't mention a whole lot of the traditional ones that we come to celebrate. It is talking about non-traditional, uh, the, uh, the non-traditional things. And we read this from the from, from the. 21st century, not realizing that some of the things that they were talking about in Proverbs chapter 31 were absolutely incredible. To hear these words come out in a culture like that is absolutely incredible. And so what they do is they begin to celebrate all these virtues that they have. And it's an amazing passage when you take a look at it. It goes against every traditional view that perhaps we have learned. But it says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 28, verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, because you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so all of a sudden, there's these seven assets that she has value. If we could go back uh, again uh, to the last one, that they have that they have value. They're worth more than rubies. That they. Not only do they have value, but they bring value to their husband, and they bring value to their children, and they bring value to their community. And there's virtue. It's not just it's beauty, is is fleeting. It goes a lot more than that. There's vitality that, that they're refreshing. I kind of like verse 14 where it says, she's kind of like the, the merchant ships that come in from afar. This woman is not boring whatsoever. She's vibrant. She's the opposite of domestic. She is visible. She's strong and compassionate. She's involved in her work. And and, and people notice her vigor. You see how many times it talks about her work? She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for the task. She does things with eager hands. She's industrious. She gets up early. (laughs) She stays up late. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. And she's vested. She's involved. All these things, these wonderful things that are used to describe women. Women. And if you take away the intimidation, if you come to celebrate them, they're a wonderful thing. There's one more. I'll call it the inclination factor. Because I believe that this is what every woman is inclined to be when given the chance. Consider this. This is Solomon's mother talking to Solomon about this girl. This is not Solomon's mother talking to women about this role. The subject matter is to a man to look at a woman. Not a woman talking about a woman and comparing herself. Basically the whole thing has to do with how men should look at women. So basically what she is, is the advice she is giving is not what a woman should be. It is more what a woman becomes when she has a man who truly loves and honors her and allows her to be the person that God wants her to be. Or a church or a community that loves a woman and honors her and allows her to be the person that God wants her to be. Are you telling me that if a man uh, or a community loves, honors, invests, gives, strives to make a woman all that God has called her to be, that this is an example of what she can become? Well, I'm not saying that, but I believe that's really what the Bible is saying. That's what it's telling me. Ultimately, it is in our best interest to invest and pour everything we can into each other. What happens when you allow a woman to flourish? A husband should not be saying, why is my wife not like this? But he should be saying, what should I be doing that my wife can be all this with Christ's help? The challenge is not to the wife. The challenge is to us to unlock the power of God through our love and our support. And this is a passage of scripture which ends up being a highlight at all the women's retreats. And perhaps it should be a scripture that should be a highlight at our men's retreats. If you stop and consider it. And don't misinterpret me. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for the modern day feminist movement. No, that's empty. And, and I'm certainly not and the advocacy is saying that the only reason that a woman is here is to serve the man. You know, Scripture doesn't say that. The big Scripture in the New Testament, for those of you kind of who don't know, is Ephesians chapter 5, where, where a lot of men will say, Listen, you know, you're, I, I'm called to be the head of the house. You lead to follow. But that's not what the passage of Scripture is about. The passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5 is this. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. If you love your wife like Christ loved the church, then a woman would have no problem submitting to that. What happens when a man loves his wife like Christ loves the church? My contention is that Proverbs 31 happens. Is that true? I believe any person, whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, when you are given support and love and encouragement... And you fear the Lord, that this is the potential to take place. Wow. Incredible. Makes you look a little bit different, doesn't it? I guess there could be one last one, which is basically called the invitation factor. That really, this whole passage is about serving Jesus, it's about serving God, it's about giving Him everything. What happens is that when you give God everything, all of a sudden you become a person that people will see and see God. Through you, And that's the important thing. The, the key line in this whole passage of Scripture is this. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The question everyone must ask is not, do I have it all together? The question we need to ask is, does my life lead people to look at the answer to all their problems, which is Jesus? Am I living my life in a way so that my kids will say as they grow up, I want to serve Jesus too? Um... I think it's Rick Warren. Uh, I remember reading his book, What on Earth Am I Here For? And I've read it a number of times and I've led a couple of classes. I'd love to lead it uh, again when we can get the chance to do so. Right near the end of the, the book, he, he begins to describe the fact that, you know, heaven is the goal. Going to heaven and bringing as many people as we possibly can is the goal. When you, when you die, you don't leave home you go home. But the one thing that he said that kind of hit me is this. He says, you will not be in heaven two seconds before you cry out, why did I place so much importance on things that were so temporary? What was I thinking? Why did I waste so much time and energy and concern that wasn't going to last? And hopefully this will encourage every one of our ladies who are so discouraged by the fact that it's never enough. I heard a, I heard a story of um, a lady speaking. and She said, I was going and doing everything that I was supposed to be doing according to the, the church handbook on what a woman should do, what a mother, what a wife should do. I know one doesn't exist, but it kind of does exist, don't you think? And she said, I just left frustrated all the time. And then all of a sudden, exhausted, I admitted that I had been weakened by a very common and insidious temptation. She said, I wanted to be for Christ instead of being in Christ. We spend so much of our time trying to do things for Christ. when Christ never really asked us to do that. He asks us to be in him. And I don't think the scriptures have ever been to make you feel bad. I think that they've been a challenge for us to say, hey, if Jesus has everything, then this is what can happen. And I think that there's a challenge for all of us. And if you're here and you're suffering and you're just feeling the weight of it, I believe that there's a God who knows everything that you're going through and says, you know what? Just lay it down on me. Allow me to do the work that I need to do in you. And, and perhaps if you're here and, and you're married with a, with a wife who suffers from this, the job is this. Okay, God, let me do everything I possibly can to make the wife that you have gifted me with the person that she is intended to be. So, God, I just pray this. I pray this for all of us. I pray, Father, against this, this, this weight that has been placed upon the church and many of our church wives and, and women. I pray, Father, that that burden will be dropped at the altar today. As we have our last course, our last song that we sing, I pray that it will be a healing moment. I pray that it will be a time where we will leave refreshed by a proper perspective of the Word of God which says all these things, these wonderful things about the women in this congregation and that when we live in you and when we abide in you, the great things that you can do through us. Have your way in our midst, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.